University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. Let's watch this video together. Mm, I'll get it, I'll get it. McDonald's Big Mac, the big sandwich with a great big taste that everybody's talking about. Two of you patties, first sauce. Let's, oh, wait a minute. Two all-beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Two all-beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Oh, got him! <laughs> Two all-beef patty special sauce. <laughs> oh. Two all-beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Two all-beef patty special... I'm just really glad commercials have improved in the last 30 years. <laughs> it's estimated that 550 million Big Macs are sold in the United States every year. This averages out to about 40,000 Big Macs at each of the 14,000 locations around the United States. So much for the sandwich that McDonald's originally resisted putting on their menu. Jim Delegati, the creator of the Big Mac, owned McDonald's franchises in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, and we invented the chain, uh, chain Burger's uh, signature sandwich in 1967. Um, McDonald's just resisted the idea because they were caught up in the simplicity of just having hamburgers, cheeseburgers, fries, and milkshakes. But it took off and, and took into this thing where all of a sudden they were selling it at all the stores around the country. One Big Mac contains 563 calories, 33 grams of fat, 14 grams of carbs, and 1,007 milligrams of sodium. And just think, if you add the fries, um, then you're sitting at a whopping 1,080 calorie mark for the day. Anybody getting in line to go to McDonald's afterwards for, for lunch? Nothing says America like the Big Mac. Did you know that McDonald's salads are actually worse uh, calorically than the Big Mac? It's because they put oil on their lettuce to make it stay fresh longer. There's something to be said uh, about the fast food uh, chain and its creator, uh, because uh, he died at the age of 98 and claimed that he ate a Big Mac every single day of his life. On the other hand, the inventor of the Cobb salad, Robert Howard Cobb, died at the age of 71. I'll let you work out the science there. In 1970, Americans spent $6 billion on fast food, and by the year 2020, experts say that we will spend $223 billion a year on fast food. In fact, one in four people tend to eat fast food each day. Americans spend 10% of their disposable income on fast food every year. And to manage our cravings, that produces over 300,000 fast food restaurants in America. I think it's hilarious every year when the, uh, or every four years when the Olympics roll around and McDonald's is one of their sponsors. Like, we convince ourselves that Olympic athletes are training on a, a double quarter pounder with cheese as they prepare for the Olympics. Uh, French author Antoine Bretal Severin uh, wrote this, Tell me what you eat, and I will tell you what you are. In short, you are what you eat. Now, my mom's little white lie that if I eat the watermelon seeds, I'll grow a watermelon in my belly might not be true, 
But when she tells me that I shouldn't eat chili cheese fries at late at night, she probably is telling the truth because it will take its financial tolls on the cost of Pepto and, and Charmin Ultra and Zantec, whatever I need to do to make up for this. Health experts say that whatever we consume has a direct implications on our mental health, our physical, our social, our emotional, and our relational well-being. It's a bit overwhelming to think that what we eat directly affects our bodies. So what, what does that mean for our faith journey? Take a look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. Now, we're working through this series. We're examining why we do what we do. And this morning, we draw near to one of our core values of what defines us, discipleship. And I want us to ask the question, what are we spiritually consuming? Jeremiah 29:11 reads, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Okay, great, Andy. Uh, what does this verse have to do with fast food or food for any matter? Is there some sort of weird Hebrew translation in there because the verse doesn't actually say anything about food? Why are you reading this? The irony of me reading Jeremiah 29:11 and having you turn there is most of us can quote that verse without actually having to turn to the scripture itself. In fact, Jeremiah 29:11 year in year out is ranked as one of the most quoted verses of scripture compared to John 3:16 and Philippians 4:13. Jeremiah 29:11 is spotlighted in the fact that last year 69 million tweets, Facebook posts, YouTube videos, texts and emails contained Jeremiah 29:11. Millions of graduation gifts are given with Jeremiah 29.11 plastered all over them and encouragement cards and picture frames and towels and bookmarks that are obsolete because you can't use a bookmark with a Kindle or an iPad. It's a powerful verse, and it speaks into God's providence and God's promises. It instills hope. One can read this verse, and you can face any difficult circumstances. So what is it, Andy? Why do you have that snarky smile on your face as you're talking about this verse? For me, the overusage of this verse personifies it is a microcosm of American spirituality. Human nature is for us to trend towards what is fast and easy and comfortable. And this verse personifies that type of faith. That is why we tend to eat what is fast and easy and comfortable. And in our spirituality, we tend to want to consume what is fast and quick and cheap and temporarily fulfilling. If we ingest what has a direct effect on our bodies, then consider what we ingest emotionally and spiritually, how that affects the well-being of our soul. Fast, quick, cheap, and easy spirituality is exactly what it appears to be. And the American spiritual landscape is a fascinating thing. On, on one hand, we, we tend to model our, our spiritual lives after our cultural lives. So Americans tend to model their lives after consumerism and comfort and security and prosperity. What do you think we shape our spiritual lives to become? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Is that not the American dream? This type of American spirituality can best be summed up in our cute wall decorations and clever sayings, our 140-character sound bites, the wisdom of megachurch pastor books, and willingness just to accept whatever the predominant religious groups and pundits are telling us of what we need to actually believe instead of thinking deeply for ourselves. So our spiritual lives are shaped in such a way that fits into what we want our lives to be. 
And so it's no coincidence that Jeremiah 29, 11 is the most quoted verses of Scripture. And on one hand, the American religious landscape has shifted. Individuals holding fast to religion is declining slightly, yet those who say they are more spiritual is on the rise. And while our grandparents' generation and our great-grandparents' generation might shiver at these statistics, they can't be ignored. As one author put it, what it means to be spiritual and how it looks to practice it is rapidly changing and diversifying. See, you see, the market for spirituality in America has never been more vigorous with retreat centers and spiritual coaches and gurus and self-help resources and, and, and avenues for dialogue. This industry brings in roughly $13 billion a year. The trend towards megachurches is on the rise because it's easier to find a church where you can simply pick and choose the programs you want and walk out without any giving of yourself. Many have claimed that the primary place they go for their faith is online. But the, the landscape is confusing. As one author put it, think of the spiritual but not religious stance as this. Spiritual, yes. God, probably. A specific religion, not for me. But at least seeking, no, not really. Not a priority. The detrimental effect for the church could not be more complete. It's akin as having a world full of people open and interested in coffee, but purposely driving past a Starbucks with complete disinterest. And if Americans are becoming more spiritual, then it's important that we examine what type of spirituality that we are consuming. Since we live in a culture of convenience and expect quick results and temporary satisfaction to be overwhelming with gratification, has our spiritual lives tended towards what is processed and salty and unhealthy and comfortable food? Are we more interested in downloading spirituality in 140 characters and simple sound bites to fit our worldview and our schedules and our comfort and our security? Are we seeking a depth to our faith journey? Are we truly connecting deeply with God? Does our church community even have an influence in our daily journey? Where are we going for spirituality? How often are we consuming it? These are the questions I was considering for this conversation this morning. Did you know that Australia, um, this is disgusting, has a pizza hut where they offer a hot dog rolled into stuffed pizza? Yeah, some of y'all just dry heaved like when I found this picture. In Japan, Burger King went on the dark side. They created a burger that comes with black cheese dyed with bamboo charcoal and a black bun. And you can also find squid ink in the onion garlic sauce. Sounds delicious. In some European countries, McDonald's offers hamburgers with Nutella spread. That actually sounds really good when you really stop and think about it. If you've never had Nutella, God bless you. Go to the grocery store now. KFC has just gone off the deep end. They have a bacon-topped beef patty nestled between two fried pieces of spicy chicken as the bun, garnished with barbecue and white pepper sauce for good measures. Vegetarians are just like running uh, to the furthest distance of the world. This is the grossest one. In Pittsburgh, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates offered a new hot dog, it is uh, macaroni and cheese, salted caramel sauce, fried jalapenos, and Cracker Jack mix thrown on top. You see, fast food joints are not creating these things for the sake of creating this nonsense. People eat this stuff. We consume this stuff. The, the, the premium philosophy of fast food eating is value made to order. And it's worth asking, have we created our spirituality as a made-to-order thing? without really recognizing we have turned God 
into a teenager taking an order at a drive-thru during our prayer time. God, if it's at all possible, actually scratch that. I want to order this decision as I make it. If you will give me the best job, live in the best house, the best spouse, the best kids, and a conflict-free life, if it would be really nice if I didn't have to pay much for this, the minimal sacrifice is really what's required. I really don't want to raid around too long, so God, if you'll just get to work on this. You see, a made-to-order spirituality has not come by accident. It's a product of our culture. We live as a people of commodity. We want what we want, when we want it, and we don't want to sacrifice anything for it. We are people of circumstances and situational people. We will engage in something if and only if it benefits us. And our spirituality is shaped only to benefit me. Deep spirituality is counterintuitive. You see, deep spirituality, deep discipleship makes no sense when we live in a world of gratification and materialism and individuality. So why would we ignore the really, really hard stuff when we can go with as fast and comfortable and easy and cheap? And despite our advancements in education and our development and who we are as human beings, we still do really insane things. We do the same thing over and over again in our life, expecting a different results. And so we go after these things of temporary satisfaction and comfort, and as if we're expecting something new to come as a result. And sanity makes sense until you're told that you're insane. And I realize that I'm not preaching the most popular message that Andy has preached since June of this year. People aren't going to get on board with what seems so countercultural. I don't even want to jump on board with it without kicking and screaming because it comes full face into who I am and my comfort and my security. But someone has to stand up. Someone has to wave our hands in the air and and get us to consider that there's a different perspective to the spirituality that God is inviting us into. In 2004, filmmaker Morgan, Morgan Spurlock released a documentary called Supersize Me. Do you all remember probably hearing the news on this? Spurlock uh, does this film for 30 days from February the 1st to March the 2nd of 2003, in which he ate McDonald's for every single meal. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He consumed McDonald's. And the film documents this lifestyle's drastic change on his physical and psychological well-being, explores the fast food industry of their influence of making a buck off, off of cheap and processed food. And the results is that Spurlock gained 24 pounds, had 13% body mass increase, his cholesterol was through the roof, but that's not all. He experienced mood swings, dysfunctions in areas that I'm not allowed to say from the pulpit, and fat accumulation on his liver. And his physicians stopped him and said, you either stop this or you are literally going to die. It took him 14 months to lose the weight that he had gained, and it was doing this by some sort of special vegan diet. And the film was a sensation. It caused food companies to, to be honest about what they're actually serving us, and they started rebranding with this packaging of fresher and healthier food. So let's go with this assumption for just a second. If, if we are what we eat, if, if what we consume spiritually is the result of who we are as a human being, then the same must be true, and there must be repercussions for the spirituality we're consuming. If we crave and consume salty and sweet and processed spirituality, if we want what is quick and cheap and temporary fulfilling, what are the results? What does the advertisement say? Results may vary from person to person. What do you want me to tell you? What do we want to hear? What do I want to hear 
myself, when we consume a spirituality that has no longevity, no depth, the results are what they are. And when we consume what is unhealthy, then why are we surprised when our life personifies impatience and anger and frustration and negativity and grudges and inferiority and insatiable desire for more and disloyalty and on and on? You see, we intake apathy and disdain and and indifference and culturally accept prejudice and self-centeredness and then we wonder what will happen. What do you want me to say? What do I want to say for my own life? The result is not what we desire. In 1992, 78-year-old Stella Lineback bought a cup of coffee from McDonald's drive-thru in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And she was sitting in the passenger seat with her grandson, and she decided, this is genius, to put a cup of coffee in between her legs so that she could take the top off and pour the creamer inside. And when she did, the coffee spilled all over her lap, causing third-degree burns. And what makes this story unique is that she then sued McDonald's, and the jury awarded her $200,000 of compensatory damages, but then they came back and said, actually, this is 20% your fault, so they give her $160,000, and then she was awarded $2.7 million in punitive damages. Now, in this woman's defense, the McDonald's coffee they were making at this time was roughly around 190 degrees. However, why in the name of Juan Valdez would you ever put coffee in between your legs? Stella Lineback is to thank for all of the caution contains hot content that is all over our cups and containers that we get from restaurants. So I think the court case raises a very important question this morning. Who is to blame for the results of our cheap and easy spirituality. I would hesitate to blame culture because we as a people of faith have always been called to live within our culture yet live alternative lives by the way of Jesus. I would certainly uh, not propose that we return back to the way that we think things used to be. We always get in this back when mentality. But in reality, back then had all sorts of false assumptions about citizenship and church membership. There was Uh, racism and misogyny and sexism and segregation and isolation of people who didn't fit into a white dominant society and variety of things. So let's not say we need to go back to when things were simpler because they really weren't all that simpler. So who is to blame? The church? What if we stop pointing fingers at everyone else and we begin to look at ourselves? Not me saying it to you, but you looking within yourself Maybe the full context of Jeremiah 29.11 has something greater for us to say. Listen to what it says back in verse 10. This is what the Lord says, When the 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill a good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for, to prosper you and to not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile." You see, the real context of this token verse is so much more different than what we are used to. 
It's so much greater than the American dream that we prop it up to be. You see, the people of Israel, the people of God, are living in exile. They had literally been taken from their homes, from their comfort, from their security. They had been scattered throughout the entire Babylonian empire. This did not come from out of nowhere. Because God had been sending prophets to the people generation after generation. The problem was the people didn't want to listen to the message of the prophets. And so they blinded themselves from the reasons that brought them to exile in the first place. The great prophet Isaiah to the latter prophets, God sent messengers to warn the people. Their spirituality was misleading. Their worship was empty. Their religious sacrifices were all meaningless. And why? Well, because the very fabric of their lives contradicted their superficial spiritual endeavors. God wasn't interested in their gifts of tithes when their abundant wealth came from taking advantage of the poor. God didn't care about their sacrifice at the temple when they were giving their bodies to the God of prosperity. God did not listen to their prayers when their words of, to their neighbors were full of gossip and disdain. Their land, the land themselves, the land of Babylon, because they were there because of their conscious decision to consume meaningless and empty and fleeting and cheap spirituality. So the words that Jeremiah speaks to the people are not at the pinnacle of prosperity. It's not the ancient version of the American dream. They heard these words when the rich had become poor, when the greatest kingdom of Israel had become decimated, when all hope had been giving out. These words aren't about prosperity today or even tomorrow. Did you catch what Jeremiah said? He said, after 70 years that you have experienced this, after you've experienced the lack of privilege for almost an entire lifetime. You see, in reality, this is not a promise of prosperity. It's an invitation into a deeper spiritual development. It's a call for us to draw near to God. Verse 12 says, When you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your hearts. You see, this is a call away from cheap and fleeting and unhealthy degradation of our soul. It's a call to deep, meaningful, long-lasting, developmental journey with God. God didn't make if-then statements. God knew that when the people drew close to God, when they were willing to engage in meaningful spirituality, they would be able to return to the place that God had promised them. There are many ways to keep in check our subtle tendencies to twist God's promises and plans, our character of, of what they really are. When we read the Bible with greater sensitivity and context, we open our thoughts and minds and souls to God, and Scripture opens itself to us. And perhaps more importantly, however, we find and we discover that God is seeking us as we also are seeking God into this bigger and broader story than just our individualistic consumer American Christianity. Is this the spirituality that we desire? Or is it a pick and choose of what we want when we want it? Are we interested in fast and quick and cheap and easy spirituality? But is that at all what God has in mind for us? What if God desires something so much more for us? 
What if God desires healthy, vibrant, refreshing spirituality that brings restoration and well-being and transformation to our lives and to other people through our lives? What if Jesus' invitation is more than just a prayer and a ticket to eternal life? What if Jesus is inviting us into something profoundly more? Where do we go for this spirituality? How long does it take? What will it cost? Will it be difficult? You see, we at our core are divine creatures. We are creative potential is, is just something far more than we can imagine. And God is inviting us into healing, into modification and redirection every now and then. The invitation of Jesus is to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus into a new way of thinking and living. This is the beginning of discipleship. And this is where we'll pick up our conversation.